Hello, and welcome back to They Made Another One, where each week we discuss an often forgotten installment in a franchise and see if you should check it out for yourself. I'm one of your hosts, Corey, and the Scooby Snacks of podcasting have been reunited at last. I've got Liam. Hey, I'm Orange. I've got Mitch. Hello. Might have to fact check that. You've got me. You are not orange. You are yellow. Ah, man. I'm colorblind. Mitch, do you remember what color you are? I'm red, I think. The color of passion. That is correct. And that's why you picked it. Classic. (laughs) (laughs) And Corey? I'm purple. Nice. So we're all set. And we're here for what is easily the deepest into a franchise we've ever gotten we're wrapping up season two we are approaching season three next week will be our retrospective extravaganza experience and uh before then you know we always want to cap it off with something good and uh unmasked part 25 that's a lot of movies yeah yeah i uh i think the furthest we've gotten before this is Maybe a part five. Honestly, five is where my mind goes, which is our first episode, Hellraiser, right? And Children of the Corn. Oh, oh, you know what? Uh, Curse of Michael Myers is number six. Okay, okay. But even no number before this has been anywhere near 25. No, I don't think it's actually the 25th of a franchise. Are you sure? What? I'm. I I looked at Wikipedia and I'm I'm pretty sure that it's just like that's just like a gimmick. It's just like a like a joke because the whole thing is sort of a satire of the of the genre. I don't know, Mitch. Do you mm. think we podcast experts would pick a movie and not do the research to discover that it's not actually the 25th part of a franchise? I'm not going to respond to that, but because <laughs> I only skimmed the page, I, I, I only saw the movie uh, moments ago. But I, I don't didn't know, read Corey. The references. Something stinks. Well, whatever that may be, it could be the film. It could be our research acumen. But in any case, Unmasked Part Twenty Five is here, and um, I'll put it to you both now. Unmasked, whether it be Part Twenty Five or anything else, do you guys know what the fuck this was? Little bit. Very, very little. So this came on my radar through that wonderful app, Letterboxd, which is just amazing. If any of you guys out there are movie fans and you've heard about Letterboxd, but you've never given it a shot, I was just like you for a long time. But it is so <laughs> is so cool because you can hit follow on a few people that like, say, some reviewers you like, or maybe you have some friends who are in the app. You could You could follow your friendly old uh orange scooby-doo character me liam Graham that classic orange guy and and you and you follow these people and then you'll you'll see what movies they're watching if they if they log them and sometimes people even rate them people review them you could keep up with all these sorts of things that uh that the community you've assembled is watching and it's just great and then beyond that you can type in any movie and look at user reviews for that movie very easily and it's it's just so cool and so i got into letterbox about two years ago and uh a few months ago i saw the poster for this movie on my letterboxd homepage, and what that meant was that someone i was following which is a whole lot of uh horror fans someone I was following had watched this movie and given it a rating. And I just thought that poster was so striking. It's just a big close-up on what looks like a deformed face, but you can't really tell because it's wrapped in like gauze, you know, bandages. And then on the title, it just says Unmasked. And then in tinier letters, Part 25. And I thought that sounded so cool. I thought the poster looked sick. I thought that's such an intriguing title. And so I just clocked it. Um... And pretty quickly, I realized that, man, if this is part 25 and there aren't 24 other parts, who's to say? Um, But if there aren't, that would be so fun to do on the podcast as our season finale. Um, It's worth acknowledging that this movie actually has three titles. Mm, Let's hear them. So there's Unmasked Part 25. There is also Hand of Death Part 25, Jackson's Back. And there is just the hand of death. So ambiguous, if nothing else. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so it's it's just really intriguing, ambiguous for sure. Like unmasked part twenty five. I don't really know what that means, but I was I was caught by it. 
And um, how many times can one man be unmasked? <laughs> yeah, honestly. <laughs> and uh, so I gave it a little click. And here I'll just read out the synopsis that Letterboxd gives us just so you guys can get a feel for this if you have never heard of this movie and uh, and you're interested because this is this is a pretty this is a deeper cut than we normally get. Right. So unmasked part 25. The tagline is it's a cold, cruel world, but Jackson can hack it. Jackson is a lonely serial killer who is really beginning to question the point of all his killing. He is losing focus on why he started to kill in the first place. The future looks bleak until he meets a blind girl, Shelly, who begins to show him that life isn't so bad. It is all up to Jackson to decide if he's going to stop killing and start learning responsibility and think about finding a real job and starting a family. And so uh, I don't remember reading all of that, but I certainly read that first line. (laughs) a lonely serial killer who is really beginning to question the point of all his killing. And then from that point I was like in, and I saw that it was from 1989. I was like, what? This came out like right at the tail end of the slasher boom. How have I not heard of this? It sounds like it's some sort of slasher satire or at least a a bit of a tongue in cheek movie. And so I've been really excited to watch this since I heard about it. But um, even since hearing about it all those months ago, I haven't noticed it being, brought up in my horror circles you know sometimes you you hear about something and then you start to see it everywhere uh now that you're attuned to its frequency but this is not the case for that so uh this is still a very interesting uh, seldom talked about movie but it got released on blu-ray by a a, uh, uh company called vinegar syndrome in 2019 and i think that's where some of uh uh, the resurgence in being watched and reviewed is coming from, but it's still rather unknown. So I'm so excited to talk to you guys about it. Yeah, I was going to mention vinegar syndrome as a good marker for the fact that we're getting to something pretty significantly more obscure than we usually do. Mitch, what what did you feel coming into this movie? What were your what were your thoughts? What was your familiarity? Well, when I usually confess at the start of the podcast when I watch the film, like the sooner it is to the time we record, I think it sort of <laughs> speaks it speaks volumes. Um I was not looking forward to this one. In fact, like I was I was kind of in like a in a bad mood. I was like, oh no, like part 25, part 25 and then like i just just like whatever threw on tubi tossed it on watched it and uh well we'll get into what i thought about it later but i had never heard of this movie before and i was just totally judging a book by its cover and in some way some ways i think my like my expectations were definitely subverted what what were you judging it based on what were your thoughts is it the poster the title <laughs> I think it's just sort of a an amalgamation of like all those things, just like a some sort of like <laughs> like shit fuck sort of slasher that some nobody's kind of shit fuck slasher that nobody's ever heard about. That's that's uh, you know just like covered in dust and forgotten, and I thought presumably for 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 good reason, and um, but that was like totally an unfair crit. I f- I felt like it was just like. It was kind of like a lot of like I thought it was just one of like the thought it was going to be a nightmare draw, but like I said, expectations subverted. Cool. Okay. Corey. Um, I didn't really know anything about this. It it had come up a while ago, and I knew that we were getting to it, and I just kind of left it at that. Um, sat down the other day, also slapped it on Tubi. Shout out to Tubi for having this streaming at all, and uh. I don't know if I had dramatically different expectations from what I usually have, which is that I'm open to being uh, surprised, uh, pleasantly so, and otherwise. And, uh, well, this was certainly one of those. I'll say that. Um, We've already covered the two other titles. Um, The casting crew is going to be a breezy thing to get through because as I skimmed other credits and stuff like that, there was not a lot to acknowledge that um, is necessarily like, useful for our purposes or like a super surprising credit. So um, I'll get through it for us now. Directed by Anders Palm, who mostly worked as a producer. Um, written by Mark Cutforth, who also did some work as a producer. Still not a lot. They did co-produce one movie together. Um, 
cinematography was by John DeBorman, who uh, shot the movie Ella Enchanted. Yeah, I, I saw some other stuff in his credits, too. He's He's been getting around. The editor was Brian Peachy, who was an assistant editor on Monty Python and the Holy Grail. Um, and the music is by Julian Wastall. Um, the cast is Gregory Cox, Fiona Evans, Edward Brayshaw, Debbie Lee London, Kim Fenton, Anna Conrich, Robin Welch, Christian Brando, notable for being Marlon Brando's son, uh, Annabelle Eurasia, Adrian Hugh, Helen Rochelle, Howard Martin, Lucy Hornack, Steve Dixon, and Maury Kelly. That's everybody. It's the whole whole team. I know this Gang's part usually here. takes a lot longer, but that's it. That's all we have. So without further ado, though I suppose there has not been much ado at this point. Little ado about something, not to be confused with much ado about nothing. Uh, I don't know. Let's, uh, let's go to Mitch first. We didn't have Mitch on last Thank week. You. I, I, so, I would have passed if you had handed it to me. So, so I, I'm so totally Mitch, down. batter up, baby boy. Um, what did you think about <laughs> Unmasked Part 25? <laughs> batter up, baby boy. Um, <laughs> I'm going to start saying uh, that every episode. <laughs> It's like uh, Jason, but uh, what if he read the classics, you know? (laughs) Um, (laughs) uh, A little bit of that classical Voorhees. Hey, hey, we don't don't know that Jason doesn't read the classics. He doesn't tell anyone about them, but he's got a lot of time in that cabin all by himself. Yeah, he just cries up there on long winter evenings when he (laughs) cracks up in some... Some, some willy shakes <laughs> yeah no honestly i thought that i thought that the kind of like literary touch to this film was kind of endearing i mean that's kind of a weird way to kind of go at this movie from the start but in a way it makes sense because i mean like the way that the film is sort of structured i mean the guy who wrote it is apparently an english major and uh he loves uh all like all that sort of like english list lit and classics and sort of like you know it's it's no coincidence that the main love interest name is Shelly and like she has her monster that she is like sympathetic towards. Um, like it's, it's a difficult movie to really, uh, I don't, I don't like, I, I like it. I don't love it, but it, it does ha- do like a lot of things very uniquely. Um, I'm going to leave it there and see if you guys can pick it that's, up. That's I- all you got to <laughs> say, Mitch. That is all you got to say. Because I just lost a bet. <laughs> <laughs> I was convinced you were going to hate it, so this is kind of a surprise. No, yeah. I liked. I, I honestly like. I don't think it's a good movie. And there, like, I hated the entire first half of it. Like the first like thirty minutes, I was like pacing across my room. Like I think I turned on a vacuum at one minute to just like you know drown out the terrible sound or like you know get some crumbs like i wasn't really into it and then after a while like something it was one of those things you know like the midway mitch miracle like a la mitchy poppins like the midway the midway flip that nobody's counting on (laughs) uh (laughs) so yeah i don't know it it i i kind of like this movie wow Corey. um Look, I'm not going to sit here and do like this big ranting diatribe. Uh, the biggest thing here is this movie bored me to tears. It's not terribly original. It is a viscerally uninteresting viewing experience. This isn't like a gutter balls where it just makes me hate it. Um, but this could not even remotely hold my attention. Um, I found a lot of it grating and kind of annoying. Uh, I don't particularly like any actor here. I thought the gimmick was tired very quickly. Um, That's true. Like I found no novelty in them, like having a normal conversation, but he's a killer. I just did absolutely nothing for me. I don't hate it. I don't super, super hate it or something, but I couldn't possibly tell somebody to watch it. Cause like I started playing f1 2020 while it was on i just checked out and i had it on the other screen and the sound was on and i was watching it and as i was doing that i just did something else that's never a good sign 
It's happened one other time. I was not super engaged with this movie, but I think that's kind of like besides the point. Like, I feel like this is the kind of movie that you could. It's, it's not like a movie that you want to pay too close of attention to. I mean, I agree with everything you were saying. Like, I was not extremely gripped by it i found it grating i found myself checking the time throughout the movie being like yeah like this is taking a while but for some reason something about this movie is was sort of charming to me and endearing to me and something resonated i what does i want to know what what like liam thought about it yeah me too (laughs) well uh first of all i should note that i'm ecstatic that Mitch liked this movie. Because <laughs> to, to elaborate a bit, Corey and I were talking last night about Scream 3 because Corey watched Scream 3 and I was very excited for him. Really quick, Liam, can I cut in? Oh, yeah. To all horror fans listening, if you don't like Scream 3, you're a fucking coward. Whoa. <laughs> Scream 3 fucking rules. I'll have to, I, I haven't, haven't seen it. I'll have to check it out. It's got problems. And I don't love the twist, but it still rules. <laughs> Parker Posey should be in every movie ever made. That is my thoughts on Scream 3, Liam. Please continue. <laughs> All right. Well, it sounds like we're going to agree on at least one thing during this podcast. Because <laughs> I, too, really like Scream 3. Um, so Corey and I were talking about Scream 3 last night. And he admitted to me, he said, I'm going to spill the beans a bit, which he, Corey has been so good at not doing. When, whenever we do these podcasts, typically, once we get on air, that's the first time I get any inclination of Corey's feelings. Um, but Corey did like a little season one classic last night. And he said, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to open this up just a little bit and tell you that I watched Scream 3 to wash the taste of Unmasked Part 25 out of my mouth. And I thought, Ooh. oof. Um, and having seen it myself, I said, well, I'm excited to talk about it because it's uh, it's certainly a, a bit of a genre mix. You know, it has trashy <laughs> slasher, but like it's also a bit literary, like draws some Shakespeare influence. It's like classic movie monster. It's British, which we don't get a lot of. And so that I thought classic genre. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's. It, British comedy, I guess you could call that more of a genre. It's got that dry humor to it. Um, and so I, I was excited to talk to both of you about it, but particularly Mitch. I thought this was a really cool season finale movie now that I've seen it, just because after the ringer that we've really put Mitch through over the last <laughs> however many months of these different levels of trash cinema that you know can be enjoyed on various levels um but the chud, Ace Ventura. <laughs> right yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> um and and don't get me wrong we've got some mileage out of those movies uh you know the episodes are good we have good discussions but but sometimes i just feel like we're we're breaking mitch down a little bit and Corey as well but Corey is used to it um i signed up for this early like i knew right. what this was mitch he's, he's a veteran a, i'm more i'm more green right at he's this, green yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and so I just thought that this is this is going to be an interesting movie for Mitch because it draws from all those different places, and I associate some of Mitch's tastes with you know classic movie monsters and uh, a bit of like very theatrical acting, which is in this movie, and uh, and so. Um, you know, I, I said that to Corey. I said it's going to be cool to talk about um, because of that genre mix, and 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 uh, I, I might have said I'm excited to see what Mitch thinks about it or something. And, and Corey said, "No way does Mitch like this movie." And I said, "Oh no, no, you think so? I I think Mitch is going to be into this." And 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 Corey said, uh, "He if Mitch likes this, I will be floored." And uh, then Corey and I continued talking about Scream 3. Corey went to bed. <laughs> and in the middle of the night, I sent Corey a message because I was still ruminating over this in my head. I sent Corey <laughs> a message that says, uh, that says, I will bet you a cinnamon bun that Mitch likes this movie. <laughs> um, Just to be clear, in British tone, he said, bruv, I bet you a <laughs> cineholic cinnamon bun that Mitch will like Unmasked Part 25. And look how cool. And to be clear. Mitch, I just because I want to see how correct this turns to be. What he said was he'll respect it and be more into it than you. That's for sure. I mean, I said it earlier, but I want to reiterate that like didn't love it, but like I liked it. I cleaned my room a bit while it was on. My room looks immaculate right now. But I also like knew knew the end of it. Like I I tuned in. Like I I I started paying attention and I liked it. Like I I didn't love it, but I liked it. It was good. 
Cool. And um, I would say I am... I pretty much land where Mitch does, though possibly for different reasons. I like this movie as well. I don't love it. Um, thought I might love it for a while, and I certainly love the idea of it. Uh, this like meta slasher movie satire on the genre, um, looking at a, a typical serial killer who is very, very explicitly modeled after Jason from the Friday the 13th. Jackson. Movies. His name is Jackson. He talks about how he was at a summer camp and the counselors left him and he drowned in the lake. Like it is, it is ex- exactly Friday the 13th. He has a hockey mask on. And um, Friday the 13th movies were massive all throughout the 80s. And so this coming out at 89, it was a direct response to that. Even the title, Unmasked Part 25, it took me until halfway through the movie before it clicked. And I was like, oh, it's just that's like a, a little uh, jab at how many Friday the 13th movies there are. And uh, there might it took have you continued half of the to movie? be. Yeah, yeah, it did. So I guess, I guess, Corey, the reason you got bored by it so quickly was just like you had it all figured out right away. Whereas I'm a bit slower, but um, uh, I in the last over the last year, I've become particularly a massive Friday the Thirteenth fan. Um, I'm at the point now where I'm just like constantly watching the Friday the Thirteenth movies. I just watched two today. I watched three a few days ago. I watched five with the commentary track a few days before that. So now I'm just constantly bouncing around and I really have an affection for those movies. And going into this one, um, I knew that I liked the idea of the slasher commentary, but I didn't realize that it would be so close to Friday the 13th. And so that just felt like a little treat for me. Um, So I was hyped on that. And unlike you, Mitch, I loved the first little bit of this movie, like particularly the first 15 minutes where it's just a slasher movie right out of the gate. We get like six wicked kills. It's like the sound is super like sloshy as uh, blood is gushing and flowing. And there are six unique different kills. Um I was just, I was so into that. It felt like the beginning of another movie I love that that Corey also doesn't love uh, is the Friday the 13th, 2009, where at the beginning of that movie, it's sort of like a little Friday the 13th short film where you just have your killer uh, annihilating a large group of people right at the beginning. Um, and in watching Unmasked Part 25, I was like, okay, this is the setup to establish that we're, we're, coming in like in media res to a dude that knows how to kill and that's his thing and then the movie's gonna slow down and it did it really slowed down and it slowed down so much that for me it it started to drag um i understood the joke once i once i understood the joke of the title then i was all caught up and uh (laughs) um from there my mileage varied a little bit there were some scenes that like brought a a new angle to it that I thought okay that's a that's a cool little wrinkle to do in this story like having people at a bar recognize Jackson from the movies and want his autograph I like that idea um and I liked the idea of the relationship between Jackson and Shelly this woman who doesn't see him for the monster that that he is she can't see his deformed face and so she's to be clear this is literally Yes, yes, she is blind. <laughs> um, <laughs> so everybody's on the same page here. <laughs> but because the movie slowed down so much to look at their relationship, I was just a bit uh, disillusioned that it wasn't written like what I felt was a real relationship. Instead, it was even that section of the movie was joke-based, even though it slowed down and wasn't... Uh, slasher movie joke based it was still uh just like a, sort of a romantic comedy um thank a romantic- god we got the dildo joke in there thank god <laughs> <laughs> what would this movie have been like without that um yeah the whole sequence kind of sucks and and so i i really love romantic comedies actually but this one i didn't feel like it put in the work to make that relationship work i didn't like that shelly was just immediately into jackson just immediately like throwing herself at him uh so stoked that 
he is standing next to her, I guess, because for a while he doesn't even say anything and she's already into him. Um, and so I, th- I think that's sort of like the satire at work, but I, I see what you like. I, it, it's dumb. Like, I agree. Sure. Yeah. And, and there is a lot of satire here. So, um, the relationship isn't played straight throughout the movie. It, it is gag based. And so, um, maybe I was just looking for something that the movie wasn't trying to give me, but near the end, like when their relationship is, is really developing and, uh, we're, we're invest, we're supposed to be invested in Jackson's character. I thought that some of those beats that weren't jokes and, uh, was supposed to be like a classic, uh, tale um that comes from an english major i thought it it could stand to be a bit stronger in the actual story of it as opposed to just the sequence of jokes but altogether i really like the ambition um i was watching this i was so surprised that more people don't talk about this and that I hadn't heard about it beforehand because it is so up my alley. Maybe not entirely in execution, but some of the things they do here are just like so cool. And, and even if they're not funny to me, they're just really cool. Like it, it feels like it was, it was made for me a big fan of these slasher movies, but also like a big fan of Scream where they poke fun at the genre. I'm a huge fan of a slasher mockumentary from 2006 that's called Behind the Mask, The Rise of Leslie Vernon. That's a movie that follows a serial killer who invites a documentary crew to follow him as he is orchestrating a typical horror movie on, uh, a woman who he wants to be his final girl. And so he's, he's killing her friends, but he's also setting up chase sequences that she's meant to escape from because that's how the typical movie goes. And, and he's looking to be defeated by her at the end because that's how the typical movie goes. And um, that's a really clever slasher satire that having now seen that a few times, I feel like that movie did it better. And so maybe I'm just a bit spoiled, but I'm really impressed by this movie that it came out in 1989 and had some of these thoughts, even, even back then it feels pretty modern in that way, but some of the more uh, attempts at what felt like classical storytelling fell a bit flat for me, but I, I love the gore. Totally. You know what, the, you know what the, it kind of reminds me of, like, with the titling of, like, part part 25? Like, I don't know if you've seen, like, the video where Siskel and Ebert are, like, they talk about, like, how rapidly that the, the Friday the 13th movies have been coming out. And they're, like, they're, they're both, like, joking and they drift into hyperbole and they're, like, well, like, what's it going to be like when there's part 25? Is he going to be pushing a baby carriage or something? Like, that's, this, this movie is, like, is, like, taking that sort of, like, a line and just sort of running with it um and a lot of it is like super grating but a lot of it works really well and like i think i liked the the last half a lot more than i liked the first half i wasn't i wasn't taken with those kills like you were like you were talking about you're like yeah there were six of them they were great like i was i i found everything about that to be like unoriginal and 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 sort of uninteresting and i think i think that's kind of like deliberate because they're kind of getting into like the I don't know. They're kind of dealing with like the formula of the genre and they're, they're doing that and I, they're doing it competently, but it's just not terribly interesting, but you know, that's the point. And in the last half, they kind of turn it on its head a bit and the entire time he's like, Oh, it's so pointless. It's so pointless. But that's sort of, that's sort of the point. And it's, uh, the pointlessness is the point. Yeah, oh my God. It, it's not like a great revelation. It's not like <laughs> it's, it's, but it is. It is interesting. Um, is it? Uh, I don't know. I just. I think. Okay. <laughs> I think my main thing is I'm not willing to give this movie that as much credit as you guys are. Yeah. Um, I don't think it's that surprising that by 1989 people were having thoughts about slasher movies like this enough to just make a movie about it maybe surprising isn't a fair word to categorize what liam said but like i don't think it's a huge swing to have made this movie i don't think the movie's very clever um i think the way in which which the conventions are flipped is kind of lame because it's very straightforward um 
and there's not really like i feel like this might have benefited from some kind of like revelatory process of like the movie brings new things to light as it goes on which i guess it does but it never feels like it's that big of a deal and like the opening of the movie is brutal and then by the time you get more into well, like uh, like like brutal in a like in like you didn't oh, it enjoy sucks. it. It sucks. <laughs> oh man, okay. um, I didn't have any fun with it either. And uh, I just like when it gets to just the parts of just like Jackson and Shelley are just talking. I just want them to stop talking. And like, the stuff, there's the nothing stuff in the father. dialogue. The stuff with his nothing... father can all go too. Yeah, like that. there's nothing in the dialogue to keep you engaged, and just the ideas are not interesting. I know that we live well past the point where like reflexive self-reflexive horror is a new idea um or was being tried out more meaningfully and i know i literally just finished watching fucking the scream movies which are especially good at that but um there's just like i don't know who sits down to watch this and goes like wow like I don't know what is in the movie, I should say. I don't want to categorize like people watching it that way, but like I don't know what aspect of the movie is the big like whoa, can't believe they did that. Yeah, I'm with you. And uh, concept. It, it spends too much time sort of explaining Jackson's motivations when he's a character we're already sort of abundantly familiar with. It spends so much time setting things up. Um especially sort of like in like the the midsection it, it does, like the stuff with his father, the stuff with like the the early sort of courtship um and like his motivations and his character is very one-dimensional and very simple and i can see how like that might like piss you off especially since it's not really they're not really doing anything too interesting with that or they're not they're, they're trying to subvert it and they're trying to be snide as hell and they're landing some of the punches and missing a lot of the others but something about it is just undeniably charming to me i, I mean I, I can't explain it um for me a big a big chunk of the charm like is it's pretty base and it it doesn't align with what you guys are saying but like holy shit guys i the first 15 and like the last 20 of this movie where it just does the slasher thing i i was so impressed like i'll just first of all it starts with like a talking heads-esque song i think it's an original song for the movie but by the by the time that comes back in the end credits i was jamming along to that that was so cool I did jam to that. I did. I did note, take note of it. I was like, "Is this the Talking Heads?" But yeah. <laughs> yeah, it sounded so much like them, and I and I looked it up. Couldn't find the song anywhere. So I think that's an original theme. Um, but yeah, well, I loved the like gr- grungy, squalid punk aesthetic at the beginning. Uh, the people's outfits and the house the that they're having I'll this concede. party in. The outfits I will concede. Yeah, if if Corey can't even concede the outfits when he's talking about uh, a movie from the eighties, you know it's bad. <laughs> yeah, they, they could have done more with like that sort of aesthetic and that sort of setting. I agree, like it is cool, but I think they should they should have done more. While okay. I'm saying positive things, I really only have one more, so I'll say it now. Uh, Shelley's room is pretty sick, and it's always lit in really weird ways. True. That's fun yeah that that is cool i liked i liked her room set yeah i loved the the house set where the killings happen um and i guess mitch like you were just saying they they could have done more of that i guess it was like a conscious choice hey to like just isolate it to the uh the slasher movie sections and then after that it's more like living in london it becomes more country club in the end (laughs) but that's because they start drifting towards the classics and sort of showing that these characters that are killing has a lot in common with them but yeah 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 yeah. um but i I, killers they're just like us (laughs) um (laughs) you know what Corey? uh when we were also when we were talking about screen three last night, you were like halfway through and I turned it on as well, so I was following along with you. And there's a scene where Ghostface over the phone says something like, uh, um, "Well, S- Sydney says to her like, where are you?'" And he says, "It's not where I am. It's 
I don't remember what the what the end of the line is. When or something. It, well, it's definitely not when because my joke was that it would be when because Ghostface is a time traveler. Oh yeah, I'm remembering <laughs> but, what you said. Yeah, but so Ghostface says like the question isn't isn't uh, where am I, and then he says a line. I made a joke saying it would be him saying when am I, and then Corey <laughs> says uh, no one ever asks how am I, which I thought was super funny. But then I thought, hey. Corey should love this movie because it's all about how the killer is. I told a joke, Liam. I wasn't asking the world for something. That was not a request. Um, I wish it was. I went because uh, anyway. Um, so yeah. So I loved. Also, I the loved... answer: How is Ghostface doing in Scream Three? Pretty fucking bad. Eventually, I mean, <laughs> he seemed to be a pretty. They, he, she—I don't want to spoil it—but whoever it was seemed happy with themselves at one point. But anyway, um, so I really liked the setting at the beginning, just like this British grime. Everyone has British accents, which is unique. They're kind to me. of appalling. I think some of them might be fake, or if they're not, they're very—they're just not good actors. Also, sorry for any British listeners, but it gets fucking annoying. Again, maybe because some of them might not be real, but I was genuinely just like annoyed by the talking. I was like, "Oh man!" There were there was some where it was just totally bolstered by the Britishness, like a man and a woman we go are down just on two different wavelengths. Yeah. Christian Leo. Brando's especially poor in this. Which one is he? Albert. Which one is that? He's the guy who gets killed, I think, first, or he's one of the he's one of the first to go. Okay, they couldn't even get Brando for that long. Well, uh, they, had him, they much, had him for two hours. Christian's much cheaper. By by eighty eight, Brando was like, "Yo, Superman!" And like that came out a few years earlier, seventy eight, ten years earlier. He was he was like the most paid actor for that. They I was gonna say, to be fair, this. Brando got paid a lot for Superman. Yeah, he showed up for like seven days of work and was like, "Where's the uh, Doritos?" And uh, <laughs> and then uh, the, the yeah. mental image of Marlon yeah, yeah. Brando eating a Doritos Locos taco from Taco Bell is truly vivid. gonna be thinking about that all night (laughs) gonna Um, call jade right now there's there's a point where there's a point where a man and a woman and you'll have to tell me if this is christian brando mitch where a man and a woman go down into like a really derelict room just like there's a mattress on one wall but it's crusty and the sheets are all over it there's clutter all over the floor they're in a basement that they had to climb a straight vertical ladder to get down to it which is like so cool um and they're in this room and they decide to start kissing on this scummy mattress which is like just amazing um and uh, they see a picture on a wall and uh um the the dude says who is that and the, and the british woman says it's your dad isn't it and he says shut up <laughs> i just love like it's oh my gosh it's just like so funny and british i'm pretty sure <laughs> christian brando's the fellow who i think is murdered outside Oh, with the face, the face yeah. rip. Oh, yeah. So that's that's what I want to bring that up too. So let me just run down some of the kills I remember in like the first fifteen minutes. Oh my gosh! So the first one, it sounds like it's uh, Christian Brando. The killer comes up from behind, puts his hands on the dude's face, peels his face off, and you see it all, like his flesh degloving from his skull and blood dripping down, and then he punches through the dude's back and grabs his heart and the heart is beating and like the sound effects are like so mushy and drippy and um i thought that that was going to be it i thought that the movie was coming in with like one just super over the top kill and then that's where they put all their budget but no then we get um (laughs) all right we get kind of one weak one that i loved just because of how ridiculous it was which is the shovel yeah uh he he hits a dude with a shovel um this is the dude he hits in the in that gross basement bedroom hits the dude with the shovel and then you just get like you see the same dummy body that has blood dripping off it just getting smacked with the shovel like four times and there's no change in the gore it's just a repeated beating and uh I like that one just because it's so goofy. But then we we get a few more that I actually really love the effects. There's one where a wire is pulled around someone's throat and blood gushes from there. Um, 
And then there's another one where uh, two people are having sex up against a wall and an arrow goes through both of them, which has to be like a clear Friday the 13th reference. Yeah. <laughs> um, and and like there's a lot of close ups in these kills, really close ups that make it clear that it's an effect. Like obviously they're zooming in to the bit of latex they have as they demolish it with blood it's not super seamless but it still has a a real schlocky charm to it and then uh i believe it's the final kill in this opening sequence which is maybe my favorite one there's this woman with really cool blonde hair that's long and sticking out in all sorts of ways um and uh she gets confronted by the killer and she tries to reason with him she says that everyone has a bad day and everyone's entitled to it, but you shouldn't kill people. And uh, I just loved this conversation. And then he picks up a, a really long floor lamp. He smashes the light bulb so that there's all these glass shards at the top. And then he shoves it through her throat. And uh, then he dances with her dead body in the room. And then uh, he starts smoking. Like that's just incredible to me. I thought, all of those kills right at the beginning were awesome. And then when the slasher sequence hits at the very end and we have a final girl finding all these dead bodies and she has to rip an axe from one of their faces and uh, there's a couple more kills where like blood is spurting on to Jackson's mask. And, uh, and then through that chase sequence, there's a bit of little uh laced in slasher jokes that i, I think, liked i think the last the last sequence in the slashing differs than the first because it, it has more like zest it's a bit i would say it's a bit more tongue-in-cheek than like the first one where he's like you know in 15 steps you're gonna fall over it doesn't even matter like it doesn't he's got like this this sort of fatalist attitude and i think like that irony that that runs through the last half is completely different than like I found the first half a bit a bit stale or a bit sort of run of run of the mill. Sure, yeah, I I know what you mean, especially when comparing those two. I feel like the first fifteen minutes is just like a straight up slasher movie that's trying to be as over the top as effects driven as it can be in order to uh, make you feel like you're watching just like the most ridiculous slasher movie. So that then when they juxtapose it with the dramatic uh stuff that comes later it feels like more of uh more of a commentary and also it it could be like a commentary on the slasher genre and the overuse of gore and stuff like that whereas um by the time we get to the last slashing sequence he's killing a few more people and he's chasing a girl around um by that point, we've established like who this character is, the satire of the movie, and we're able to put some of those jokes in there, like him saying that the woman's going to run away and she's going to trip over a stick and he's going to catch up to her. And then he does, and, and he says, what did I tell you? Your fate is, is sealed as tightly as mine. And then he kills her and her bloody is like so her her it is, blood it is, is so terribly black theatrical. and thick and like it's i just i loved the cheese of that yeah. and uh some of those jokes in there um and it's worth noting that the effects for this movie i've read were done by the team that did hellraiser 2 i read somewhere it was hellraiser the first one and then another place said it was hellraiser 2 so uh one of those movies so that was yeah, the effects maybe that's where here. all the money went for some reason, yeah. like the the final sequence and those kills reminded me a lot of like Theater of Blood. I don't know if you've seen Theater of Blood. It's like a nineteen seventy three film with with Vincent Price. No. But it kind of it kind of plays with the slasher formula a bit. But he's like a washed up theatrical actor that has his face horribly disfigured in a fire, and he seeks revenge on all the critics that gave him bad notices. And uh, it kind that of that sounds uh, awesome. It's extraordinary, um, and. Uh, so the sort of theatricality of the kills and the sort of tongue in cheek nature of it and how it's completely aware of the genre really made me think of that film. And I, I, yeah. If you Google theater of blood, the top result is from the old school runescape wiki. (laughs) (laughs) No, this is is the 1973 film. Yeah. Yeah. It's the second result. (laughs) Maybe they took some Vincent price inspiration. Uh, the Theater of Blood is a large arena located beneath the castle of Ver Sinhaza. It is used by the ruling vampires, which with a Y, to host blood sports. That's kind of dope. 
that's kind of dope. We should we should just play RuneScape one day for Bangman <laughs> another one. Um, Yo, meet me in Varak, one v one in the wilderness. Up your fishing stats. Um, <laughs> up your I, fishing stats. <laughs> I gotta say, like Liam, hearing you be like, "Oh, I love that bit where he told her she was gonna trip, and then she did," and he's like, "See, fucking told you." Like for me, it's like every single moment like that just made me want to roll my eyes and leave the room. Like that's totally fair. I and I maybe at the time that felt a little bit more novel, but if it's going to tread such obvious ground in critiquing the genre, doing like a tongue in cheek parody of it, it's just got to be more interesting than this. The reason I don't feel like I have a ton to say is just like. And I'm glad that you guys are finding more in it. That's good to see. But like it all, it just feels like a nothing. Like it, it came and it went. And I just, I don't know what there is to like for me to grab on to. Cause it just, it, it all seems very kind of obvious. And it's also just very slow. Like all the talking is kind of slow. And I, I didn't find a lot to love in that. So like, it's great that you got more out of it, but I don't know. It's just it's interesting hearing you say that because I don't know if you're giving the movie like more leeway than I am, or if we're just coming down on different notes. Or like I don't what disagree it is, with but... any of that. Like I don't disagree with anything that you said that it, that it feels slow and that it's that it's a, a sort of unremarkable. Like I agree with all that. Would I recommend this to somebody? Probably not. Maybe I'm gonna have to sit with it for like a bit longer. But it is like painfully obvious. But if it's just something you're throwing on and you're not paying too close of attention, I think I, I had a lot of fun with it it is what it is like i I think it knows like i I don't think it's like as as grand as perhaps it wanted to be or it's it's not nearly as smart as it thinks it is but it's but it is like it is effective at what it does yeah but like it knowing what it is i don't know that's just that's not enough for me to like give it more slack because i still watch it i'm still bored does it know that it's boring like i don't know like, <laughs> uh i think i think it knows it's being point. boring i think it knows it's being boring in the first half because the he doesn't fucking bold strategy anders <laughs> let's see if it plays out for him <laughs> he doesn't want to be like the uh like he he doesn't want that life it, it, i think it's supposed to be like as mundane as delivering the mail for this guy like when he's when he's going through like the, the motions of, like the old slasher yeah like, but like i don't know i just fucking i don't know man go get a job well he knows well he finds love instead Corey. no he he does he because he fucking kills her he found it for a while it was fleeting (laughs) as all love is i wish this movie were fleeting he's too selfish yeah it is a bit long i think i think you could cut a good 20 minutes out of this which is amazing because it's 88 (laughs) minutes yeah You can make a really good Cinder Elmo length movie out of this. No way is Cinder Elmo super short. It's yeah, it's sixty five minutes. Dang. Yeah, maybe they should have followed the Cinder Elmo uh, <laughs> <laughs> structure formula. Yeah, the structure. <laughs> um, I I would agree with you on that. Honestly, like I think uh, a sixty minute length for this movie in particular would have would have worked out just because like uh there's enough good jokes for me to fill that 60 minutes but because i didn't love it all it's like all right a few times if we had trimmed it down it would have packed more of a punch um and uh as for like would i recommend this to someone i would recommend this to someone if they've seen movies like this and it is their thing if they really like that idea um it's not where i would start them i would start them on something like scream uh cabin in the woods you know you got to give that a shot um (laughs) mitch how do you feel about cabin in the woods i like cabin in the woods cool um yeah as i uh, I said i'm the only person in the world who seems to not like cabin in the woods uh yeah but i think that's that's another movie that um is more accessible than this one i would definitely suggest behind the mask the rise of leslie vernon i mean uh specifically because that one is also about a serial killer uh he is the main character of the movie he is uh trying to be a normal guy otherwise i mean his passion is is killing in that one but you talk to him and he seems like a normal guy but then he this, he also just has this like 
aspirations of being the next great Michael Myers, Jason Voorhees. It takes place in the same universe as all those movies. So in his world, Jason Voorhees and Michael Myers are real killers that happened, and he's trying to be the next great killer. Um, oh, it's not that those movies exist. It's that those people were real? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so because I... I really like all those movies. Um, when I see something like this, I'm just able to uh, appreciate that it had been done uh, in a different time, a different aesthetic. Like it's just charming for me to see those jokes being made in grainy 1980s Britain. Um, I like hearing them. I like, I like the gore, but I do feel like it doesn't bring it all together tight enough. Those other three movies that I mentioned, those movies feel very focused. They have a great payoff. Um, like not even in terms of quality, just in terms of like there, there is a big climax to those movies that you can feel. There's something that they're saying. Whereas this movie, it, it feels a bit more meandering. It has the idea. It, it occasionally makes stops to make points on that idea but altogether it doesn't have an exact through line um and so i would recommend this movie to people who like or are interested in any of those other movies want some more of stuff like that this is a great curiosity um but it's not a mainstay i think another sort of interesting sort of footnote this really has little to do with that but it's with like the opening sequence that we talked about was sort of the punk stuff. And I, I meant to say that, that the opening sequences are actually shot on Baker street, which is where Sherlock Holmes lived in like the books and the guy who approaches yeah. them at the start of the film in like the tweed is that's on like Baker street. Like that's, that's uh, like I've, I've, I visited there <laughs> and like, I, I recognized it like immediately. And I'm like, is that, is that like Sherlock Holmes? Like what, what is this? um that's kind of just like another sort of interesting literary point in the movie um again very little to do with what you were saying but i i i just was was looking over my notes yeah that that is really cool i didn't notice that at all there's there's definitely uh a good amount of literary allusions right there with the slasher allusions. I mean, the Frankenstein one is obvious, especially, you know, the name Shelley, of course, like you said, Mitch, but she also has this uh, monster that wants to feel something and uh, he's looking for a purpose in life and he ends up hurting people along the way. Um, You know, there's, there's, there's a lot at work here, but um, another couple passes might have helped it out i think i agree i agree what did you think about the ending like the uh, no yeah the very final gag there with the marquee <laughs> of the darth vader hand of no. death part 26 yeah um i i, I yes thing to a actual joke fuck oof <laughs> that's, that's i'm being I, I believe mean, but uh, I, I believe you. If, if that's uh, <laughs> man, you gotta watch this movie in reverse. That way, it starts off on a high. <laughs> um, I, I like the joke too. It would have hit more for me if more of the movie had been clear about like what his relationship to the world and the world of movies is, because the mythology here is a bit scattered. Like it wasn't exactly clear to me if the movies he's in are like, you know, cause people are recognizing him for movies that he's been in killing people. I don't know if those are like documentaries or when he says that he has uh, friends who are in these movies with people getting slaughtered and stuff. Then I was thinking, um, okay, is this like a Michael Myers exists in this world sort of thing, just like Leslie Vernon? Because he says he has friends in the business and there's movies made about them. And um, some of those things are just dotted in there. But otherwise, I'm not exactly sure what this dude's place is in the world uh, that is being established. Like in Leslie Vernon, it, it is so clear to me 
what that world is. They ma- they make it very clear and they follow it all the way through, um, and it feels very focused. But this one felt a bit more scattered to me. And so while I understand the joke at the end, and I and I like the idea that he sees uh, that another like movie based on his life or. Uh, a movie that is his life or whatever it is uh the title hand of death part 26 on the marquee drops to his knees and starts screaming no over and over i i really like the idea of it that like he didn't escape and he's he's doomed but he's sorrowful because he his life is just going to continue this way and the movies are just going to keep being made um you know slasher movies friday the 13th movies are just going to be keep being made without much change and um i really like the idea of it but the, the it didn't have as much of a wallop as I think it could have had, or that it wanted to have. But sure, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I think they just didn't fucking think about it. <laughs> I, I I don't know if that's fair. They don't know. I mean, like the ending, like or like his relationship to movies, and like is he in the movies? The bedroom. I I don't think they thought about that. Yeah, I, I really, I, I don't know. I don't know if like some stuff got left out or like they just, uh, um, it's it's really tough to tell because I just, I don't, I don't understand how you can make this movie and not think about that stuff just because the lines are so blatant that it basically demands that you ask the question right away and um, it doesn't quite go ahead with it. Um, like there's, there's another gag in this movie that I like, but I don't quite understand the greater context where he goes mask shopping with Shelly um, oh, yeah. which I thought I thought was that really cute in terms of like a romantic comedy as well like by then I kind of I got their chemistry and I think the dude who plays Jackson he has prosthetics on the entire time so you can't see a whole lot of his face um, but one of his eyes is constantly moving because you can see through to the actor's real eye whereas the other one is just a prosthetic sort of baggy uh slapped on eye but he does a lot of acting in that one little eye and so by that point i had i had grown comfortable with him and uh they go mask shopping because he's he's constantly wearing this hockey mask and and they're thinking maybe he can find something else that's like a bit more a bit more in and so he uh he tries on like a a big cop hat and he like does the michael myers head tilt in the uh in the mirror and then she tries on a hockey mask to try to support him but then he's offended by it and uh i i I liked those jokes i thought that that was the sort of thing that if that if jokes like that had been all throughout the movie um that directly reference the slasher serial killer world he's disillusioned by it would make more sense to me but then we also have like the four or five minute scene of them trying bdsm um which i i I thought some of that was funny but i didn't think it had to go on for so long and i didn't think it should be there at the expense of other jokes that felt more topical Mm -hmm. Corey, you want to talk about that big white dildo no i don't i don't it's not it's not a funny joke. I'm out of things to say about Unmasked Part 25. I'm just letting you guys go at this point. <laughs> Fair. Honestly, I, <laughs> I, I, I don't have like too much more to say about it. Um Yeah, the like that like BDSM scene could totally go. I love the scene where he's anxious at breakfast. Um I like the bit where they walk in the park. I hate all the shit with his father. Cut that out completely. I can I can totally see like just by looking at this movie and what's wrong. Like I totally know how I would have cut it, but um, yeah, yeah. And it's not what they did, but like <laughs> there's a there is like there are good things in here. Um, and it's so much so to the point that I would say that I liked it. I would probably give this movie like a three star rating. Out of five, yeah, I'd I'd say I'm pretty much in line with you. Um, I, I'd probably push it to like a, a three and a half because I liked those effects so much. But it's right around there. It's um, 
I like that you said you know how you would have cut it because I think that there is a, a version of this very movie that would be much stronger and uh, more revolutionary. I think it would be talked about more, whereas the way it is now, you kind of got to dig for the the stuff that um, I think is, is funny and stuff that would go on to be done in better ways later on. Um, like... I think Leslie Vernon is basically another version of this movie, just far better. So much so that I, I looked up to see if the director of Leslie Vernon like had seen this movie as a kid or something. It was inspired by it, and I couldn't find anything. But I think it's uh, it's. Um, I don't think Unmasked Part Twenty Five is doing anything unique enough to have that direct an impact on a similar movie because the idea is kind of there. Yeah, and that and that's that's totally fair. Um, I wonder if I ever, I wonder if I can like ask that director, I would be interested to know. Cause that is a very fair point. I mean, so many times you get like evil twin movies that come out in the same year and they're about similar things and they just happen to be written around the same time. Right. So, uh, if this movie and Leslie Vernon are like 17 years separated, it's totally possible that they uh, didn't have any crossover whatsoever. But, uh, mm-hmm. yeah, I, I'd slap like a seven out of 10 on this one. I think it's a, it's a, cool sort of um cinematic oddity and i think it's it's worth checking out but but not before you see those heavy hitters i'd say for the record i'll be courteous and give it a two yeah i think a three out of five or ten out of five i think a three out of a three out of um three out of five feels like a generous it's like a generous three out of five for me i'm being generous with it if we were to rate it out of 10, I would probably uh, make it more it's, It sounds like Mitch and I almost feel the same, except he's being more positive and I'm being more negative. But like, I, I wonder how different the baseline feelings actually are. I think a two out of five from you is far more positive than how you're sounding. Oh, then, then I'll drop it. I don't fucking care. I'll make it in line with my views. I'll give it a one and a half. <laughs> you want some more of that i'll drop a one you mess with the devil you get the horns baby you want to give this the gutter balls treatment i will i'm not afraid <laughs> for the record the gutter balls treatment is giving it a half star out of spite so people can see the rating because if you give it zero stars nobody knows you didn't rate it <laughs> <laughs> the old gutter balls phenomenon <laughs> So does anybody have anything anything else to say about this? I'm I'm no. kind of like I'm it's like turning my pockets inside out, fresh and, out. Yeah, looking at my notes, not a whole lot. I think we can let this one uh, ride off into the sunset, or uh, yeah. onto its knees in front of a movie theater, uh, shutting no. <laughs> Insert Darth Vader no sound. <laughs> Honestly, that's pretty good. Maybe I don't need to insert this ad. Well, thank you. Um, no Genero, so we don't need to do that. Uh, why no? Why no Genero? Thank for God, you? no Genero, Mitch. You're free for now because, as mentioned, next week's episode is going to be our season two super finale. If this is the first part of the finale, where we're gonna reflect on all the movies that we've watched over the past year, talk about favorites, maybe least favorites, good bits that we remember, just sort of take a look back reset and then the week after that we'll be starting season three so next week no new movie to watch but we will still have i'm sure plenty of thoughts about everything that we've watched since we hit uh texas chainsaw master oh. the next generation it's top was... 10 time Corey. it's I'm top so 10 excited time. that was everybody the the top 10 episode that we did this time last year uh to look back on the first what would that be, Corey? Like first fifty episodes 50, of the show, 51, or so? Fifty-one, fifty-two-ish. Yeah, Corey and I did a ranking of our top ten favorites, and it it, it was my favorite time I've ever had recording the show. And now that we have Mitch here, I am so excited. I'm thinking maybe Mitch Woo-hoo. can do um, a ranking of every movie that he's now watched for. Uh, yeah, I think for Mitch the is show, getting, I think Mitch I think is going to include both seasons. Yeah. yeah. And and see what you get. Look back. Um, I'm going to do a bit of rewatching, but it's not necessary. Sometimes it's fun to just like go off what you remember. And in that case, there might be some surprises, right? Like I, I did not guess Corey's number one. Much to learn next week. I think it'll be a good time. Yeah. Uh, for now, 
we're gonna go do research and prep and planning. Really knock that one out of the park. I'll buy some streamers. I'll buy a fucking cinnamon bun, apparently. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) So, uh, Mitch, uh, before we head to the retrospective, do you have anything you would like to plug? One day he will, but today's not the day. Do you think he's going to install clap lights for that? Clap. <laughs> so or, his lights are turning on and off. You know what he could do? Uh, set it up so when he claps, his mic turns off and he leaves the recording. That, that would, would be, be cool. cool. You know what? I, you know what? My theory is that after the second time he did it, he just recorded it, and now he's just never done button. it again. He just hits <laughs> a button and it does the thing. That's awesome. I love that idea. Uh, Liam, what about you? Uh, well, first I want to get it out there, Corey, that um. If you're feeling some kind of way about buying the cinnamon bun, I'm a gambling man. I will double or nothing you <laughs> for, for, nothing. for something on the top 10 list. Like we like guess each other's number one or so. We'll see I'm what comes up. I'm fine com- with buying you one. <laughs> we'll see what comes up. But we can still guess if we just want to get crippling gambling addictions. That's true. Yeah. So uh, uh, maybe we'll get some gambling going on next week too. Everybody. I think that's great. Uh, we know how much Corey and I love casinos. Check out Leprechaun 3. And you know how much we love. Uh, nope, never mind. <laughs> I don't. I didn't have a punchline ready for that. <laughs> I just you ever just didn't... start a sentence and hope you find your way through on the halfway? all the time, <laughs> all the fuck. I forgot what I, I was going with. Fuck. <laughs> all the all the days. What was that what? sound? I thought I thought I heard something. Jackson, Shelley. Uh, must have been the wind. Well, uh, anyway, uh, yeah. For a plug, everyone. Yeah. You drinking a Slurpee over there, Corey? Uh, I'm not. I think it might just be the the very strong breeze. Uh, you got the window open, or I, it's it's a it's the fisherman's breeze. It's uh, you know how they have like red skies at night. Sailors love it. Red skies in the morning don't go on the water. Um, the fisherman's breeze is actually a signal to podcasters to tell them to wrap up the show. It sort of sounds like you're watching the opening scene of Unmasked Part 25. If only. If only. <laughs> uh, <laughs> plugs. You guys can find my film writing alter ego, Graham the Haunted Marshmallow, on Twitter and Letterboxd. My username is Graham the Mallo. Uh, you can find me on Twitter and Letterboxd at Mr. Corey Price. You can check out the other show that I do where we talk about Luke Perry, uh, Mortal Kombat. Nope, that's not what the show's called. MK Podquest. There's that wind again. We got to get out of here. It's at MK Podquest on Twitter and all your podcasting services. I do it with our friend Lee. I do it with our friend Neil. Holy fuck. <laughs> Thank you all once again for listening to this episode of They Made Another One. You can find us all over the internet on Twitter. They Made Another All One Word. Letterbox, T-M-A-O. Episodes on Anchor, Spotify, Apple, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Breaker, and everything else. You can reach us via email at tmaopodcast at gmail.com with recommendations for future episodes questions comments and what you think our favorite movies of season two will be thumbnail art by jay dickinson at jade sketches on instagram and now we're going to leave because of the podcast fisherman's win thank you next week they made another one <laughs>